You're listening to the Press Lounge. Here, you'll get an insight into the minds of people who are changing the world. Today, we're talking to Mstislav Chernov, who stayed behind along with his team in the besieged city of Mariupol to report to the world what was happening on the ground. He later turned the footage into a documentary, 20 Days in Mariupol. Let's dive in. My name is Mstislav Chernov. I'm Ukrainian film director and a journalist for Associated Press. I am an author of documentary film 20 Days in Mariupol. 20 Days in Mariupol tells a story of a team of journalists who are struggling to keep working in besieged city of Mariupol in the first days of uh, Russia's full-scale invasion into Ukraine. And as they struggle to keep working, they tell stories of those people who suffer, lose their lives, or fight back for their land. So you and your team stayed throughout the 20 days, so the, basically the beginning of the siege. I think that the worst came after you fortunately were able to leave. You filmed this uh, sort of expecting it to touch the world in a certain way. Do you think your film accomplished its mission? And what was the mission behind staying and risking your life and documenting what has been happening? I don't think I ever, maybe somewhere deep down, but uh, I've been working in, in news in conflict zones for nine years already, and I have very little illusions about how much journalism can change. However, at that moment, the most important thing and the biggest responsibility for me and for my team was to actually get these pictures out. There were so many important, scary and, and hard moments were, ha were happening to, to Mariupol, to its citizens, and We knew that there was no one else except us to tell about it to the world. So we felt responsibility for doing that. And all my mental capacity went into just trying to perform that, that task, to find the connection, to save enough batteries to, to film more and to, to, to set it quickly. And I'm not sure that... Even now, looking back, it has changed much. But I know for certain that, at least for some people who were stuck in Mariupol, it helped them directly. Their families found them through our footage and photos. And uh, Ukrainian authorities and various NGOs were able to negotiate, at least start negotiations for the Green Corridor mm -hmm. that was opened later through which thousands of people have escaped. So I hope the film helped. Well, back then it was not a film, it was just news reports. But I hope those images helped people just directly, not, mm -hmm. not impacting a grand global politics, but just those people on the ground. That would be really enough for me. As a Ukrainian person who's been who's been uh, following the war very closely and has you know been to Ukraine during the war and who has family living there, I obviously knew what was happening in Mariupol. I obviously was uh, very grateful to see the pictures that came out of there. But while watching the documentary, I think for me and for a lot of other people who were in the same position, those um, 
pictures that we've seen from the maternity ward, from other besieged areas of the city, they kind of came to life. I think to me, it was still just as harrowing to watch this and to witness it kind of happen in front of your eyes, especially because it's a movie theater, it's a big screen, you have the surround sound in front of you, you almost feel like you're there except you're in safety. So one of the things that I feel like this movie could help with a lot, if not changing people's minds, is evidence for The Hague. Um, right. First of all, making documentary films about events like Siege of Mariupol, mm -hmm. for example, for events that are both symbolic, mm -hmm. tragic, and, and, you know, historically important mm -hmm. for Ukraine is absolutely necessary. Because in modern world where we are constantly bombarded with hundreds of tragedies that are happening all across the world, it is very easy to to forget what happened yesterday or a year ago, two years ago. And more time passes, less those stories remain in our memory. So it felt like a duty for me to to make this film, to make sure that those tragedies of those people will not be forgotten. That's, that's one. And two, uh, when you watch news, we live in a world of misinformation and misinterpretation. And when you watch news, one minute, two minute pieces, you easily can be subjected to misinterpretations mm -hmm. because all you see just cuts, quick cuts with voiceovers. And so giving the audience more context, which is possible only with a longer form like documentary films or podcasts for that matter, uh, giving the audience more context helps, helps people to form an adequate vision of, of the events that unfolded. Yeah, I think especially now, two years, two years into full-scale invasion, nine years into uh, Russia's invasion in Ukraine, we have to do more of this in-depth, bigger projects that, that will give international audience the context of what is happening in Ukraine. You work with the Associated Press and you've worked for a lot of very like highly regarded and accredited international publications. So obviously this doesn't apply to, to what you did in Mariupol per se, right? But one could say you have a budget and you have access to resources, right? Because you have the connections in the news world and you have more of an opening towards that world and you already are. You, you yourself are a very accredited journalist. I've heard from some cinematographers from Ukraine, for instance, if you know Nariman Aliyev, that there is very little budget and very little sort of um, opportunity for Ukrainian cinematographers to reach those kinds of heights where their work is regarded and seen as far and wide as yours is and is about to be on streaming platforms. How do you suppose Ukrainians can make those documentaries and feature films while struggling with all of the aforementioned factors? Yeah, I have to say that Mariupol was not done, was not made on a big budget. No, of course, not. <laughs> that's it why was... I said it was... <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Let's say that producing the film mm -hmm. requires... A budget yeah in any case because yeah. even if you filmed as i did with one camera and small mic and we didn't live in hotels uh we lived in basements and so you don't need a big budget to film in a war zone not always but most of the time but you do need a, a budget to to produce a film later yeah. because it takes it takes time it takes a lot of resources and commitment, all this is, uh, in, in the professional world, is money. But if you have good material, mm -hmm. if you have a story, let's say a first part, 
of the journey, then it is possible to to find budgets, to find uh, money for finishing the film. First of all, is it general problem of documentary world right now in the recent year there has been a decline in the mm. demand from the studios but that's probably going to change and what's interesting and what i'm hearing from some of the producers i meet on the way uh, as i am presenting 20 days in mariupol across the states and in mm. europe i hear that they are actually quite surprised of how little ukrainian documentaries are being made right now in Ukraine, because uh, by the second year of a Syrian civil war, there has been five, ten yeah. excellent documentaries, and that's a year nine for Ukraine, and we still we still yeah. miss them. So I think I think it's it's a hard question because there are there are many mixed reasons. Mm -hmm. First reason is Ukrainian documentary language vision is not yet fully formed. And there is something that uh, Ukrainian Ministry of Culture, Ukrainian directors and, and public has to work on mm -hmm. because now it's a good time to create this language and to present it to the world. The second is the overall crisis, mm -hmm. documentaries uh, in the world. And the third is, um, yeah, the, the world is quickly shifting and we have to react quickly. You narrated the whole documentary as if you were reliving it again and as mm -hmm. if you were there. Mm -hmm. How was that sort of for you mentally and uh, to, to do? Because it must have, I understand that you've been through a fair share of really, pardon my French, crappy situations in your life when it comes to frontline reporting, right? But I don't think that anyone has really seen anything like Mariupol and what has been going on in Mariupol and you were like in the midst of that and then you had to do it again and relive it again to show the world what it was really like. It hit me the hardest when we started editing and partially that happened because at that time I was in Kharkiv in my hometown mm -hmm. and it was heavily bombarded and um, a house where I, um, where I lived as a student for five years was hit. It was, it was very, very personal, very painful. And it was very painful to see this horrible deja vu that was happening. Archive was not surrounded, but it was heavily bombarded. And there, were, it was, there was a possibility that it will be surrounded, so I will live uh, through the same events that Mariupol did. So as I was filming during the day, I was coming back in the evening and connecting over Zoom with, uh, with, with our editor, Michelle Meissner. She was in Boston at that time. So we kept editing through the night. And at that moment, it was, I think it was the most devastating because I relived Mariupol over and over every second of it. And I was living through what was happening to my hometown. So yeah, I almost mentally collapsed at that point. But um, you know, I think I think as journalists, we are generally very privileged comparing to to those people who we film and whose stories we tell. Not only because we make a choice of living through this traumatic event, and those people who we whose stories we show, they didn't make this choice. Also, somewhere in the back of our heads, we have this understanding of the meaning of everything we're going through. We at least have a purpose 
to tell the world about what we see. But those people who suffer, those people who lose their families, their homes, they don't know why this is happening to them. So this question, why, is, I think is the main question of the whole film. Why is this happening to us? And uh, it's asked in the film by a mother who lost her child. Well, it's also asked by um, by a woman that he, he, I, I believe it was you, right? Uh, almost in the very beginning of the film, where an older lady asked you whether she should remain in the house, and you told her yes. And there was a very slim margin that she survived, but the house next door to her got hit. It seems like it not it doesn't seem like, but it, it, the prevailing theme of the movie is that everybody asks why, right? Because no one understands why it happened to them. And that's the question I want the audience to ask. I. That's the question, that's the reason why we decided not to sanitize the film, not to, to try to make it almost unbearable. So the audience feels trapped, afraid, uh, and um, understands that the war is absolutely unacceptable. Everyone who's seen 20 Days in Mariupol, every time when they ask if they can recommend it, right, they say, I wish I wouldn't but you have to see it. People ask me, like, did you like it? And it's a very strange question to ask because I think I hated every single moment of it, but I think it's incredibly important to watch it because you can't really like what you're seeing, and, you know? From a production perspective, it's an amazing film, right? However, but... yes, it's important, to, it's important to note that although it's very raw, it, yeah. the film's language is very raw, it, it its purpose is to transport the viewer, yeah. the audience, into the besieged city, into to let them relive yeah. all these events. But a lot of very careful work mm -hmm. went into it because yeah. it's very easy to push people away, to yeah. numb them with just violence and destruction. Yeah. And we very soon stop feeling anything. So yeah. the main impact of the film is from one side is the emotional responses that yeah. people have when, when they lose their children and their, their homes, but also the impact of hope. Yeah. You never see people alone. You never see people in grief alone. Yeah. There is always someone near. There is always someone to support, whether it's a doctor or a neighbor or a volunteer or a policeman or a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important feeling that every single person walks out of the cinema with when they finished seeing a film, the hope and the resilience. I'm very glad that you pointed it out because it's not gory. Like the movie is not gory in a way where you know, it, it, there is lots of violence, but it's but it's violence inflicted sort of everywhere around you. Not not it, it's not a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know, with a documentary. It's if, if I may say so, but it is very emotionally impactful. Like, I think there is not a single person that can come out of a movie theater and not feel for the people and not feel the rage that every Ukrainian person felt when this was happening. Which brings me to, have you received communication? Because I'm sure people email you and people try to like reach out to you or to your team from someone who didn't quite believe or didn't quite know what to think about this, right? And who watched your movie and it changed their perspective because I'm sure there has to be thousands of people like that. I never received the message that film changed their perspective on the Russia's invasion in Ukraine. I think it wasn't seen enough yet by by people who are responsible for it and by, by people who support this invasion. I wish they would see it and 
probably they will someday. It will be available. So whenever they want, they can. But I heard from the audience that first it changed their perspective on how they watch news. They know there is much more to the news than they just yeah. see on a screen now. It changed for for many people. It changed a lot the understanding of how misinformation and propaganda works, because mm -hmm. that's one of the important themes of the, of the film, which we tried to show. Um, we all exist in we all exist in bubbles, information yeah. bubbles, and we rarely touch, let's say, the, the bubbles that that mm -hmm. have opposites opposite yeah. thoughts to ours. And film does that. Film without judgment, without um, emotional without imposing any emotions on on the audience or or making or giving any opinions to to the audience it still gives gives them enough information to Make see what is what is like to see the event that you just witnessed and you know how it's unfolded from a very different let's say an opposite perspective mm -hmm. and how frustrating that might be mm -hmm. so that that's something that is something that we really wanted to show in a film, and I think we succeeded. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I think you did as well. I, I, I really appreciate it, actually, through the, through the parts of uh, the bombing and the parts of like these, because there are moments from the siege of Mariupol that everybody who has been following the events in Ukraine knows, right? Like the bombing of the maternity ward. And I did appreciate a lot that you gave context to what was being reported about this and especially reported on the other side and how it was being portrayed by um, Russia and well, these harrowing events for Ukrainians and for the city that were being inflicted on them by aviation and by all of these like Russian artillery and tanks were being portrayed as some somewhat something they did to themselves, right? As, mm. as some sort of a liberation of the city while you are in this liberation and clearly it's just a, a massacre. But also I tried to include all kinds of responses of mm -hmm. people with different opinions, didn't know. With different mm -hmm. with different views on, on what is happening and different reactions on camera and on journalists that was also an important yeah let's say it was important um, editorial decision mm -hmm. to do that to keep the balance yeah. because as as long as you keep the balance you yeah. you have trust of the audience i think you were in one of the in one of the basements and uh you asked uh, who is bombing the city and there were quite a few people who didn't know what to answer and they they 
they thought Ukrainians might have been bombing the city because that's what they've heard on their like Russian speaking news. And the people who who have gone through these airstrikes, right, who have seen everything that probably you have seen and more because they clearly stayed throughout the entire siege of the city, think that there are Nazis in Ukraine and that somehow topples what had been done to them by Russia and continues to be done to them today because if you know obviously Mariupol based on the footage that we're seeing from the people who stays who stay there through like various telegram channels it's it's not being taken care of right and those people think that somehow it's okay because there are Nazis in Ukraine that they were saved from how does that make you feel having gone through all of it I don't really feel anything about it people have their opinions they have rights to make their own judgments and we have no information on on their circumstances under which these people had had formed their judgments all we know is that that every single person who was in Mariupol who stayed in Mariupol or left Mariupol was in such a vulnerable state yeah. of fear of panic or desperation that in this state of mind, people can be like susceptible to yeah. su- suggesting uh, opinions. But but again, it's absolutely their their right to make these judgments if if they wanted to. But it's the whole misinformation, misinterpretation is um, not surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that for so many years with so many events. In my memory, it started in 2008. Mm-hmm. I'm still young. <laughs> so I remember 2008, the Russia's invasion in Georgia yeah. and misinformation campaign that was uh, happening there and everything that happened with Aleppo and then Mariupol. It's not our job to fight any of that. Yeah. Our job is just to keep working. And making this film is it is even more important to make sure that, that this film is made and, and yes. seen by people. So again, they have enough context to, to form their opinions. Yeah. You're doing a very good job at staying impartial in a situation in which one would think you would be very partial because it's your own country and your own people, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. It's a, very, it's a very rare skill. How do you choose what ethically is okay to film and put out there and what isn't, right? Because you do film a lot of very, um, they're intimate moments, like the moment of the woman and her husband losing their child in the hospital. There are many layers to that, many layers to that. And while making this film, we had to balance a lot of important decisions, uh, one of which was uh, being respectful mm-hmm. to the victims being respectful to everyone who you see on the screen. At the same time, making sure that audience does not get false feeling that the war is not that serious of a, of a thing. And uh, at the same time, not pushing the audience away, but by excess of the violence and blood yeah. and gore. So that balance was hard to find. It took a lot of time just to... to and careful, careful editing to to make sure that all those rules are followed. Would you say the best way to look at it is if if you think that something that's included will will be more impactful to more people than be intrusive onto someone's privacy, then it's worth including? The urgency and the importance of the event Mm -hmm. that we're unfolding in Mariupol 
uh, for Ukraine as a country, uh, for Ukrainians as for people who fought for their survival, and for the world that was suddenly faced with an invasion which a lot of countries did not expect and did not know how to judge or understand what is happening. The, the urgency and the, the importance of publishing everything that happened in Mariupol was immense. And I think it was the right, right decision to do. A lot of the world did not know that this was going to happen. A lot of Ukrainians were in denial that this was going to happen. You are very close to military action. Why, why did you choose Mariupol specifically? I know that, uh, that if you looked at, this, at the history and if you looked at Russia trying to capture Mariupol back in 2014 and not succeeding, that would suggest already that they would try again and that they would have sort of like, you know, a grudge on the city. But you also are from Kharkiv and Kharkiv is right at the border <laughs> with Russia. It was a hard decision. I thought we need to go to Kharkiv, but, but then again, we didn't know, nobody knew at that point whether the escalation, which we expected at that moment, will happen everywhere on all the borders yeah. or just in Donbass, right? So Mariupol was the, was the, the right, right choice because regardless of whether it would be a full-scale invasion or another wave of escalation, mm -hmm. Mariupol would be under attack. Yeah, because Mariupol is part of Donbass, although, well, yes, you know, exactly. Mariupolites will argue with you and say it's Prazovia, <laughs> which it is, but it's also part of Donbass. Why is it important in your eyes for the people who have the opportunity to, to watch this movie once it comes out worldwide? You see, here's the thing. It's very tempting mm -hmm. to think that you're in a mission and that, mm -hmm. you, that, you need to, mm -hmm. that you need to convince someone of anything. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a wrong approach. I wanted as many people in the world as possible to see the film, but more I would say to for the film to be available to mm -hmm. see. I, I don't want I don't want anyone to be forced to see anything. Uh, you can't make informed and balanced decisions if you are forced in anything. So I want this film to be available. And also, I want it to be available in future for future generations because we form our vision of the world around us through news and headlines. But we form our understanding of our past as a country, mm -hmm. as, as people or, you know, as citizens of the world. We form our understanding of the world through documentaries, mm -hmm. through literature, through feature films, through bigger forms. Uh, I wanted just to make sure that as there's such an important event mm -hmm. as Siege of Mariupol, as tragic as it is to take its place in Ukrainian history mm -hmm. and will be available for the next generation to make their own judgments about how mm -hmm. and what happened to the city. Yeah, that's a very, very good way to look at it. That's a very, it's a, it, it in itself is a mission, you know, it's a mission for just for the availability of real information. At this point, I would call it not a mission, but a responsibility. Okay, so let it, let's settle on responsibility. Because as soon as you start taking missions, you are, you are becoming an activist. That's not what modern journalism should be. Because there is so much radical opinions um, that it's actually very hard to understand what is happening. But again, it doesn't mean not having emotions. It means keeping a... A wider, wider picture, trying to 
trying to get a wider picture. Twenty Days in Mariupol for now is only available in select indie theaters. On November twenty-first, it's going to make its debut on streaming platforms in North America. We hope you give it your time. This conversation is over, but there are many more to come. To ensure that we can keep publishing these interviews, please don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to our Substack to support our journalism. Linked in the description. It really does help. And if you have any comments or suggestions, don't hesitate to email us at info at borlingon.media. Otherwise, we'll talk next week.